Welcome to Fast Frontiers. I am your host, Tim Shigel, Managing Partner of Refinery Ventures. In this episode, we're talking to Mr. Carl Grant, who leads business development firm-wide for one of the top venture startup firms in the country, Cooley. He assists clients in connecting with sources of angel investment, venture capital, and private equity. Carl also co-founded Venture Raise, a LinkedIn-like platform with the specific purpose of helping entrepreneurs identify investors who are a fit and connecting them through trusted referral sources. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Carl's career in venture capital and technology and what it's like working with startups and finding fortune by happenstance in one of America's uh, economic epicenters and establishing the Austin Venture Association. And then finally, we'll talk a little bit about the nature of remote work and changing geography of work due to COVID-19. The biggest theme or so what I hope you can take away from this conversation is that you got to take what you know well and get creative. Carl took his experience at Cooley building connections for entrepreneurs and built a product where he saw a need by creating Venture Raise, a platform for entrepreneurs to match with venture funding. Please enjoy my conversation with Carl Grant. Carl, welcome to Fast Frontiers. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. It's my pleasure, Tim. Thanks for having me. You have seen a lot of connections through your role at Cooley. Definitely have been uh, on the frontier in many different respects, geographically and from a market standpoint, et cetera. But um, first, I'd love to just dive in a little bit more on your background, your experience, and, and what makes you tick. If you could, actually... Uh, share a little bit about kind of where you grew up and what ultimately brought you to Austin, Texas. Well, I should tell you, Tim, that I was born in Ohio. <laughs> so I still, at the heart of me, consider myself an Ohioan. Born in Youngstown, Ohio, moved to Columbus, spent a little time in, in the Philadelphia suburbs, but really Northern Virginia was where I grew up from first grade on. And, and I, I went back to Ohio for college and then to Indiana for grad school. And so I, you know, I have those Midwestern roots, and I've taken them with me wherever I go. And so as I grew up in Northern Virginia, I went back to Northern Virginia and really wanted to be an entrepreneur after getting my MBA. And, you know, I, lo I love entrepreneurial activity, but sometimes the, the economic cycles and circumstances go against you. And so I, I had... I, I, Tried to start a, a cable television network with my dad right out of graduate school. And we got bits and pieces of the enterprise up and running. But back then, this was the early 90s, it was a very capital intensive business. And our inability to raise the capital that we needed ultimately kept us from, from putting up the whole network. Today, you can do it without, without all that capital. It's, it's fairly easy to stand something like that up. And so after doing that, um, look, I, I met my wife. We had our first baby. Reality set in. She wanted to stay home and raise our kids. And so we made the tough decision of, you know, leaving the entrepreneurial venture and going and taking a job. And so I, I had some jobs early on, Tim, that really enabled me to to get to know the entire venture ecosystem. My first job that that was really part of this space was was being the capital attraction manager for Fairfax County Economic Development Authority. Fairfax County back then, if you if you could rewind 
if you're old enough to remember this time period in the mid nineties, it was really the beginning of the internet. Email had just come out. The World Wide web just, just became a thing. Browsers just became a thing. And all of that activity was, was really instigated by the federal government. And, and most of the guts of the internet were in Northern Virginia. So if you wanted to get a, an internet domain, you had to get it from network solutions. If you wanted to get a, a, um, an email address, typically it was coming from AOL, PSI net, or one of the other internet service providers in Northern Virginia. So 70% of the world's internet traffic traveled through Northern Virginia. So it was really the place to be back then. And I went around as an emissary visiting venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, going up and down Sand Hill Road. Everybody would meet with me because I was not a threatening person. I wasn't asking for their money, but I was telling them about deal flow out of Northern Virginia. And after doing that in New York and Boston, I, I managed to attract a lot of capital to Northern Virginia. We, we held the first venture fair in 1997, which was kind of the shot heard around the world. And, uh, and then we doubled the number of venture funds in Fairfax County during the two years that I was there. And I didn't lose any entrepreneurs. And so after a successful two-year run in, as a government employee, I got recruited to PricewaterhouseCoopers and did the same thing for them. We you know, built up a huge practice there. Really, the, when I figured out what was the, the secret sauce to selling something they needed but they didn't want, that was an audit. What a, what a miserable thing to sell. Nobody <laughs> wanted to buy an audit. So... So, but I sold a lot of audit engagements and every, every entrepreneur that raised venture capital needed an audit. And back then they wanted a big four, uh, well, it wasn't, it was five, big five back then, but there's four now audit. And so by connecting those entrepreneurs to venture capitalists, I was able to then secure audit engagements with each of those companies. Did that successfully for two years. And then right as right, I didn't realize it was the end of the internet bubble, but all my I made all my friends millionaires, which was fun. That that was that was a good time. Have had a lot of rich friends and I, I had a lot of job offers because you know, everybody and their brother was doing a startup back then and everybody was getting funded, even with silly ideas in, in the late 90s. But I joined a real company that was put, the first company to put video on the internet, if you can believe this, was 22 years ago. I was part of the management team of a company called iCast. We raised a $36 million Series A round led by NEA and we had West Coast investors as well. And we thought we were going to conquer the world with, with this. If you can imagine, Tim, we raised $36 million on one frame per second motion JPEG. <laughs> there was no, what what year audio. was this again? This is uh, uh, 2000. This is the year yeah, 2000. Amazing. And then we got our money March of 2000 and the market cratered. And yeah. we didn't know that the party was over because you know we were fat, dumb, and happy with $36 million in the bank. And we were burning $4 million a month at one point. And, uh, you know, string T1 lines to, to traffic cams that nobody was watching. But, you know, we weren't really generating revenue. We were, we were putting together partnerships with companies like Sony and, and we had big heads, but, uh, after about nine months or so, the, our venture investors said, you know, why don't we bring somebody in from the West coast? One of our CEOs, uh, to come and see if there's really anything here. And I remember this guy, Woody came from the West coast and spent about a week with us and then shut the company down. And, uh, that was rough. Uh, I, then yeah. I, I, I joined, um, a friend of mine's, it was kind of an early FinTech company. It was a, a company that was doing financial services, morphing to a data company. And I came in to expand the company and to grow it. And we, we took it from a million dollars to 2 million in revenue. And then nine 11 happened. And, uh, oh. 
wow, you know, who you have as venture investors really matter. That's, that's, that's one of the things yeah. I learned is you got to know how they behave in good times and bad, you know? So NEA, it, they, they pulled the plug. I mean, they're, they're a go big or go home venture fund. And, and I get that the next fund that came in, I won't mention them by name, but not a, not a top tier venture fund. So on nine twelve, if it wasn't bad enough, seeing the world train centers go down, our venture investors said, cut everybody's salary in half. I looked at the Mark who founded the company. I was on the board with them. I said, I, I can't work for that amount of money. You know, I've got, I've got kids. I had four kids at this point in time. And uh, he goes, well, we're not going to do that. So we cut the staff in half instead. And that was just the beginning of the, you know, unraveling of the company. At that point, Cooley had asked me to come and join them. And, uh, and I did. And my wife looked at me after that and said, Carl, well, I'm raising all, we have five kids. Well, I'm raising all these kids. Will you please not do any more startups? <laughs> and so <laughs> I obliged, uh, you know, so I'm a startup guy at the core of who I am, Tim. And, and so for the past 20 years, I've lived vicariously through the entrepreneurs that I've helped launch their businesses. I get down and, and I lock arms with them. I, I help them with their ideas. I help them, you know, I, I you know, learn from the mistakes that I've seen made in other companies and, and I help them make good decisions. And at the right time, I get them connected to sources of capital and with other management team members that can help them build their companies, as well as partnerships and customer relationships, uh, if I have those connections. Those experiences are obviously very formative, uh, particularly overcoming adversity, going through the bubble, et cetera. How has that informed how you look at the markets we're in today? Well, you know, we, we have a very uncertain future ahead. And, and you know, I don't, I don't know when this will air, Tim, but, but, uh, you know, we have, we have a lot of um, unstableness in the, in the political sphere, international. Um, and I think we, I've talked to some entrepreneurs, you know, I, I work with a lot of young people. I, I, I enjoy that. And a lot of the investors today are very young as well. And when I talk to some of these young entrepreneurs, I say, you know, as you're raising this capital, I'd really make sure that you have somebody who's at least been through a recession before <laughs> because, because some of these guys investing today, they, they were kids in 2008. They were in school. They, they, mm -hmm. didn't, they don't know what that is like. I, I was the founding board member of a bank in 2007. Believe me, I, I know what, it, you know, I, I'm still an entrepreneur, Tim. I'm, you know, I just have to do it in, in ways that I don't quit my day job. Right. And, and Cooley has <clears> given me, you know, a rope and let me, uh, you know, go almost hang myself with it, with the, with the bank, you know, who, who would have ever thought Bear Stearns would go down in the middle of a capital raise. But, you know, when you look around the boardroom, when you're going through that, all of a sudden experience really matters. Okay. We had a DNO insurance provider on the board as directors and officers, liability insurance. You don't think that's important until Bear Stearns goes down in the middle of a capital raise and you're not going to be able to raise $29 million to open your bank branch. And, and all of a sudden, D, D, directors and officers liability insurance is very important because you could get sued, right? And then other guys hmm. on the board, you, gotta, you want to have people on the board that know what to do, okay? So, so I'm just going to give you an example of, of the kind of thing entrepreneurs need to think about. So we had raised $9 million from individuals that, that were going to fund this but we needed our investment bank to raise the remainder of this. And we had a lot of folks that we owed a lot of money to. I mean, we, we, owed, we owed somebody $500,000. And, and so 
now, you know, you're, you're stuck in a situation where you got to work through this. And we did, but thank goodness we had people on the board that had been through situations like this before. And were able to say, look, we're holding on to this $9 million. We're going to use the interest back then there was interest Tim, the interest <laughs> to pay off these vendors we owe money to, and we're going to work everything out. And we talked that $500,000 into $175,000 and we worked through it all. And we sold the bank. We sold it to a publicly traded bank. Yeah, you know, for pennies on the dollar, but still, it, it it was better than it could have been, and and so you need to have people around your board and on your team that know how to get out of situations like that because you don't know what lies before you. That is such a good point. Not something that I necessarily thought we'd talk about today, but it's a a great reminder that's coming up with a number of our portfolio companies as well, and I and I I bring it up with some of the CEOs and and maybe you know, a little surprised that they're not thinking about it. But what you brought up is a great reminder it has no, no, nothing to do with whether they're a good leader or a good CEO. But if they haven't lived through it, you could hear about it. But living through it is a very different thing. And, yeah, and I think you've lived through something you got. I've lived through the same. There. Yeah, the same cycles. Exactly. Uh, but it's a, it's a very good reminder and um, great suggestion for entrepreneurs to think about that as they're putting together their investor groups and the rest of their advisory boards and corporate boards. Yeah. And look, look, when you, when you're heading into uncertain times, it's good to raise more than you need. Right. Because what happens is when, when, if we hit a hiccup here and we haven't really hit it yet, but if we do, then it's hard to raise capital. (laughs) You know, guys like you, Tim, you're, you're not looking for new deals. You're you're looking to, uh, you know, nurse the wounded and take care of the portfolio. Really. I mean, that's, that's what happens. And, and, um, VCs go into preservation mode and, and hibernation, you know, I, I remember when I, when I thought the recession of 2000 was going to be over, I was really close to the, um, the, the managing partner at new enterprise associates, despite the failed portfolio company. And I said, you know, I, I saw some signs of improvement in the economy. And I said, we're, you know, you guys are going to start investing now. And he told me the date when they were going to start investing. And it was like a year from when I thought they were going to do it. And I'm like, wow, a whole other year, we got to wait. And, and sure enough, right, right on the date that he said they would start investing, everybody started investing. So really mm-hmm. entrepreneurs listening, pre, be prepared for something like this. Don't run in fear, but, but you got to prepare, you know, it's just like having some emergency, you know, cash on hand or, or food on hand, you know, you hope you don't need it, but, but it's good to have. Yeah. And don't, don't assume that the, uh, you're going to be able to go to market at the end of this year. If you have a chance, if you have a chance to, to raise it now, get it done. Make sure yes. you have a good 24 months runway. Well, I, you know, I started in the venture business in 98 and the first company was, was involved in was in your neck of the woods. Well, the Virginia neck of the woods, Annapolis, uh, US Center Networking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I know the company well. Yeah. So uh, another way that you've learned and had been productive in uncertain times is during COVID with the formation of Venture Rays, which I think is a you know, fascinating story. And that, that has you know, created a life of its own as well, correct? Yes, Tim. So it really was a, a solution to a problem that I had, as, as so many good companies are, right? So I... Mm-hmm. I've always held myself and, and our team at Cooley out as connectors willing to make uh, connections to sources of capital. And usually we get, 
about one or two entrepreneurs a week that need our help. And, and that's totally doable. I used to do all my own research to figure out who was a good fit. And then the activity picked up such that I, I started to use a research team to do it. And so the way, the way we used to do this, entrepreneur sends a, an executive summary or deck. I, set, I send that after looking at it out to a research team, they research who, who's a right fit to invest in that company. And then they query, they do that in PitchBook. And then they query those results against my LinkedIn sales navigator. And then they tell me, this is who I'm connected to. That's a good fit for this company. I send that list to the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur looks at it, says, I want to talk to these. And then we make, you know, 10 or 10 or so introductions uh, or referrals, double opt-in referrals. That's a very time-consuming process that I just described to you, Tim. That takes mm-hmm. about a month and a half after you get through all of the double opt-ins and they're buried in your inboxes. And, and you know, there's hundreds of emails later. and and so. What happened is in the middle of COVID, entrepreneurs could not get out to venture fairs and events and meet investors in other ways other than going through guys like me who know most of them. And so I I took over. So this is a perfect storm. I took over Cooley's relationship with Techstars in the middle of, of COVID in the middle of moving to Texas. And you can imagine what it's like to go from a six bedroom house on 20 acres to a condo. And so uh, I, I, I had my hands full. I didn't have a lot of extra time, all right? And then I'm driving what was supposed to be a two day trip turned into a three or four day trip because a hurricane came through. So <laughs> in the middle of all this, my inbox just blew up with hundreds of entrepreneurs trying to get my help getting to sources of capital. And, and as I'm driving to Texas, I'm thinking there's got to be a better way to do this. The way of venture capital referral hasn't changed since I started in the business in the nineties. Right. And so, so I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, man, there's, you know, all the things that have changed since, since I started in this, there's, there's like apps for dating. You could find the perfect match. You know, if you're, you want to meet someone, you you've got, LinkedIn for business, you've got social networks, you can find your friends, you can zoom you, we've got video, like, why are we sending emails with attachments like we did in the in the late 90s. And so that's when I, I really envision this platform. It's a LinkedIn like platform that will will take all of that information that's that that, you know, otherwise would have to be found in pitch book or on websites and all the information on LinkedIn and bring it into a smart system where an entrepreneur can come in, put his or her information up, build a profile, just like you would in social media or dating and, and, you know, put the certain elements about your company, where you're located. I mean, this is what it pulls out of it, where you're located, how much revenue you have, who you're selling to, how much you're raising, whether or not you're a female or minority entrepreneur, and and, and a a number of other little items like that. And then what it does is it queries the database of investors, and it shows that entrepreneur on a percentage basis how how well of a fit each fund is for their company, but it doesn't take them directly to the fund because guys like you, Tim, don't like entrepreneurs just coming and barraging you with stuff. And, and, you know, you, you like to get stuff from people, you know, and trust, right? Exactly. If I, if, if I say, Tim, I saw this great deal that I think you ought to take a look at, you're probably going to be a little bit more open to looking at it if it comes from me, as opposed to some entrepreneur you've never heard of before. Right. And so, that's what this system does. It'll show you which trusted sources of deal flow or connectors are connected to these investors that would be a fit for you. And then you get to decide, entrepreneur, do I want to get to know somebody who works for a law firm or a bank or an accounting firm or whatever? And or Trinet is a big customer. You know, it's a it's a human resources PEO company. They they um, 
yeah, anyways, you need all these things, but maybe you already have one and you don't want to talk to this person. So perhaps there's another connector that gets you to that same investor, or perhaps you see that there's one person who knows like, you know, 30 people that could invest in your company. Maybe you ought to invest in getting to know that person. They're not going to send you to the investor unless they get to know you. And if they're, you know, a service provider, they probably want you to use their services. And so, and and that's usually the quid pro quo that goes on here. And so I, I take what was a, a month and a half process of helping an entrepreneur get to investors. And literally I can do it in the time I'm waiting for an Uber. That's, that's how much of a time saving it is for me. So it was a huge solution to the problem I had. And I can make more investor referrals than before. And I, and they're more targeted. I'm not sending a life sciences company to a, a company that doesn't do life sciences because I forgot. I know right. exactly what you invest in and I've updated it with you. I've, I've uh, either done a zoom call with you and updated it, or I've researched it on your website or I've sent you a survey where I've had you update your deal flow. And so it gets smarter and smarter over time. We get more and more connectors on the platform over time. We, we've got you know over a thousand investors on the platform. We've got something like four or 500 entrepreneurs and I think a hundred connectors on the platform. So it's, you know, it's still early stage, but, but we've got some of the biggest companies in the world, big fours, law firms, PEOs, you know, th these are, we're selling to the enterprise today and, and, it's, it's been quite exciting. I, look, when, I, when we launched this business, it wasn't a business. It was a solution to a problem that I had. I, I have a full-time job. I can't go run a business, you know, while I'm getting paid right. by my company. So we actually brought on a CEO who's, who's running the company and turning it into a business, which is quite exciting. I, I'm going to be the biggest, you know, raving fan and customer of the business because I designed the software and it's being improved by the other customers that are coming on board and saying what they need. Yeah, that's a... Uh... Big problem. And I think you hit on something that I think is really important for entrepreneurs to know that they can learn from this platform, which is who are the right investors for me to talk to? You know, when I hear an uh, entrepreneur say, oh, I've, I've got a list of 80 investors that we're going to, you know, send our plan to and just kind of carpet bomb. That is not the way to fundraise. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. And there's usually less than a dozen funds that really fit the criteria who will actually understand your business. Exactly. If you're pitching to somebody and they don't get it, then you're talking to the wrong people, right? So that alone is valuable, I think, to the entrepreneurs. So it doesn't change the way the investor gets the deal flow, though. They get an email just like they used to, but they see mm -hmm. that it comes from a person that they trust. And then rather than clicking on an attachment, they click on a, on a link that takes them back to the profile. And the entrepreneurs tell me it has Tinder-like functionality. I, I too old for Tinder. You know, I guess the whole Tinder thing. I was already married. They're but swiping I, but I, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I get it. It's it's like you, you, you click left uh, to pass, and you click right to uh, to accept. And and then then what the beautiful thing is the the platform generates an email intro from me to the investor without having to <laughs> find it in the bottom of my emails. Mm -hmm. It's been sitting there for two weeks because it got buried and the entrepreneurs sending me more emails asking if, if I've heard back from that investor and it just, it just speeds up the process. You know, I, I, uh, true confession. I did sign up early on when you told me about it, but I haven't been recently. So I'm going to re-engage. It sounds like it's also matured quite a bit since I probably logged in. I was, I don't know how early I was, but it was probably pretty early on it. Well, we can get on and walk through it together. I, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So you, you're, I, I think of you as a, as a super connector, that that's evidence of it right there. Uh, what are some of the other big lessons that, you would, that you've learned in that process that you would share with entrepreneurs? Well, so 
Can I talk about geography in the lesson here a little bit? Oh, too? yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So it used to be when I started in this, this world of entrepreneurs and venture capitalists, it, it used to be that you had to move to the Bay Area or Boston and later on New York City, right, to get funded. The, the coastal coastal companies, mainly the Bay Area early on. Boy, has that changed. So so now I, I get the Bay Area funds saying we don't want to invest in the on the coast. You know, we want to stay away from coastal. I can't tell you how many funds. Not mm-hmm. there's still some that still invest in the old model, but I, I'm telling you, it's a tectonic shift, Tim. That the the funds want to invest in places like Cincinnati, Ohio, or Columbus, or you know, even Austin's too too uh, you know overfunded now for some of them. But but they 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 really want to look outside of the overfunded areas. They they find better um, valuations. They they find more retention on the management teams. They find mm-hmm. lower salaries and cost of living. It, it's it, you know that the, that they appreciate that, and so that's the biggest change I've seen. So entrepreneurs don't pick up and move to the Bay Area to launch your business. Stay in in a in a town near near a city, preferably that that has some resources. You want to you want to have you know. Well, nowadays with COVID, with the whole COVID shift, and you know, you don't necessarily need them in the city. But in the past, you you've had to have your you know auditors and your lawyers and your bank and and you know certain functionality to help you as as an entrepreneur. But but you know, not necessarily in one of the venture centers, right? There there are whole there are whole funds that are developed with the theme of you know flyover country and investing in in non traditional markets. And so, if I could just say one other thing that, that that venture raise has done which i think is pretty cool is is the venture industry was a black box you know when, when i when i entered into trying to be an entrepreneur early on it was a bit yep. black box like where yep. do you where do you even start i had to build all these relationships from nothing but most people don't get to do that if you're a minority entrepreneur outside of cincinnati and you're not connected to the venture ecosystem and you don't know anybody who is what do you do? Like, who are you going to talk to? You can actually get on this platform. And this is the great equalizer. You, you one can mark that you are a minority or female entrepreneur so that you know, which funds actually focus on companies. Like there's actual funds that are focused on these companies today. And you can see, you know, based in Cincinnati or outside of Cincinnati, who's going to be the best fit for this company. And then you can navigate it and, and start to build your relationships. So if somebody reaches out to me that has a good idea that, that, you know, is in one of these areas, I'm going to listen to them. I, I am, I'm going to coach them. I'm going to tell them, you know, look, your pre-revenue, I get zero responses for pre-revenue companies. So you're going to have to build, build your business, turn it into a business and, and move it beyond idea in order to be attractive to, to my contacts. But uh, certainly you know, start out talking to folks in your community. There's sources of capital right there in Cincinnati. Let's let's get you connected, Tim. Who do you know, right? So, hey, that, that, odds are your angel seed money is going to come from local resources. Yeah, that's my experience. It's still the same same thing. It's really about a two hour driving radius around where you live because most angel investors are doing they're investing other than it's the best thing for reasons other than it's the best thing they could do with their money. They, they probably could do better things with their money, but they have, they have some sort of emotional attachment to what you're doing to you perhaps. And they want to be part of it. You know, maybe they're, you know, want to be entrepreneur like me that wants to live vicariously through what you're doing. That's what you're going to have to tap into in your local angels. Yeah. And some, some folks may want to move to go to some accelerator somewhere. 
one of the big uh, benefits of an accelerator is getting matched up with mentors, but you can also do that on your own. You, 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 you don't necessarily have to do an accelerator. You could reach out and it's, it's amazing. Uh, entrepreneurs love helping out other entrepreneurs, right? Especially if they've been successful. So it, that always worked for me when I was kind of early in my career, reach out to people who've been through it. And especially if they have roots, if they're from your same hometown or what have you, and they could be a huge source of uh, advice and, and assistance when you're in that earliest stage. I agree. Not, not all the best companies come out of accelerators, but being an entrepreneur can be a lonely thing. I, I know I, I did a startup where I was working for four years, pretty much in an office, you know, not surrounded by other people and, and, and it's a lonely place, right? And so it's nice to have a community around you. And so I've been involved with Techstars. That's a great program. I've been involved with Capital Factory and several other of these. I don't, I don't want to, you know, start picking them out one by one, city by city, but there's almost every small town has something where you can go and be around other entrepreneurs. So I, even in, in my work now, Tim, I, I, I'm working remotely. I travel when I need to. I go into Capital Factory, which is a, an accelerator here in Austin, Texas and, and throughout Texas. And I like to, I just like to be there a day a week, at least right. just to be around the entrepreneurs and inevitably, you know, folks that I've bumped into or done Zooms with, they'll come up and talk to me. And it's just, it's, it's a good way to, to stay plugged in and, and be part of the ecosystem. So share, if you will, what you're doing in Austin in terms of that community. You mentioned that it's, you know, there's, there are a lot of folks moving there. It's been known as a kind of a tech community and city and home to South by Southwest, but there's still plenty of opportunity there as well. Well, so, so Tim, I, I feel blessed to have been in the right spot at the right time during each of the kind of booms that we've had post you know, whatever. So, so like Northern Virginia during the, the run-up of the internet. And then I started covering New York back in 2008 <laughs> when New York became the epicenter. And that was exciting. I did that for two years and I didn't know that it was going to be kind of the epicenter of the, of the next economic boom, but I was right there in the middle of it and, and, and was part of it. And that was exciting. Well, so I, I've been coming to, to Austin, Texas since 2013 for South by Southwest. And I really think South by Southwest is what positioned Austin to be the go-to place during the whole COVID transition. And because so many of us have been here so many times and, and know the, know the city, know the community and, uh, and, and like the vibe here. And so I, this was pre COVID 2019, we were actually having a, a corporate group offsite here in Austin, Texas. And my wife had heard, you know, for six or seven years from me, how awesome Austin was every time I'd come home, you know, so it's, think about this. It's, it's a, you know, second week of March and in most places, it's still cold. There's still some snow. And uh, then you come to Austin at 78 degrees and, and, and it's sunshine. You're wearing shorts and flip-flops and, and it's like a spring break for the tech community. So what's not to love. So, Every, every year I'd come back and like, why do we live here in this cold weather? Why don't we, you know, and, and so, you know, we were trying, we were looking at Florida, we were looking at different places where I could, you know, commute back and so forth. So I brought her out here in 2019 and we go out on a boat on Lake Travis and looking at homes and in I, I, much to my surprise, she said, let's do this. <laughs> and so, yeah. You know, so here we are, you know, and I, so we bought a place in 2019 and 
you know, we had no, no plans to, you know, to move or anything. We had to figure all that out. Well, COVID was the perfect time for that, except that it was hard to sell a house. <laughs> that mm. was nobody, nobody came to look at our house for a long time, uh, you know? Mm. And, and so as soon as that started to change, we were able to sell the house and move here in August of, of 2020. So, you know, I look like a freaking genius for doing this, Tim, because, <laughs> because Elon Musk followed me here as well as Oracle and everybody else. And they all heard the secret was out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sure they all heard Carl Grant <laughs> move there. And, and so, you know, property, my, my, the place we bought has gone up by a third. And, and I mean, there's so many, so many entrepreneurs and VCs moving here. I can't keep up with it all. So it, what, what I, what I did was, and, and this is ahead of, you know, Cooley having a formal presence here. We have an informal presence here. There's a few of us that have kind of done the, um, you know, work out of work from Austin during COVID. We've got people working from all over the place right now. So, you know, I'm not, this is not unusual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've got people in Florida and the Carolinas and all sorts of other places. And so, you know, I, I don't know what, it, what we're, what we're going to, what it's going to look like when people start going officially back to the office again. But uh, anyway, so I, I have started to take advantage of what's here in Austin. I realized that there were a lot of kind of old timers that have been here from the beginning with ties back to the Austin Ventures crowd. And then there's all these newbies, these all these young people mm -hmm. moving here. And I'm getting to know them as well as the old timers. And I'm really realizing they don't know each other. And so I, from what I learned back in the Mid-Atlantic region, we had the Mid-Atlantic Venture Association is what I use to attract all those uh, venture capitalists to, to um, Fairfax County back in the day. I just redid that here. We I got it, got a, couple of people together, got an entrepreneur and a VC, and we formed the Austin Venture Association. And we had a kickoff event, rooftop overlooking the state capitol. We had 80 venture capitalists show up. It was a fantastic event. Uh -huh. And we're doing a, an encore event to that during South by Southwest. And uh, right now we're, we're focused on building community. And, and the goal is to really have quarterly marquee events. We're planning a um, party barge event out on one of the lakes for the spring, which will be fun. And, uh, the, the community seems to really like it. We've got uh, all the big players in as uh, founding sponsors. We've got a full-time executive director and, uh, and, and a board and, 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 and the association is a pro bono client of Cooley. So we were able to pull it all together. Wow. Well, I am going to have to make sure I get on the invitation list for the, the barge cruise. I think <laughs> one okay. of our, one of our team members is coming down for South by. So we'll, Please we'll shoot, just shoot me an email and I will on each of those and I will get you on the invite list. Yeah, that's, it's a great time. The, so through all this, this shift that's taken place in terms of geography seems to be uh, different this time. Uh, as a Midwesterner, we've talked about it from time to time, but now it's different. Uh, and I know you see that this is a massive shift, but why would, why do you think it's different? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that that a lot of the effort and attention has shifted to the central part of the U S. And so during COVID we opened a, a Chicago office that, that you're, you're in the geography for the Chicago office. And so mm -hmm. uh, the first, you know, official business development trip I, I did interestingly was to Ohio with my Ohio roots and all of the time that I've gone back to Ohio, my alma mater's in Ohio, my daughter's in Ohio, going to school in Ohio. So, so, you know, I have reason to be back in Ohio, but rather than just go visit my daughter at college, I do business development trips back to Ohio. And so it, you know, Ohio and Indiana are both um, 
part of part of that geography of the Midwest that we're targeting. And so, you know, yeah, Austin, Texas and, and Texas in general has really blown up as, as well as surrounding areas. But it seems like it's all kind of migrating to Texas or closer to Chicago. And and certainly uh, the Midwest is included in that. And so I've just seen a lot more activity out here in the center of the U.S. than I do on the coast. It's still on, on the coast. I'm not, you know. I'm going to get some angry email from somebody out of the Bay Area telling them I'm crazy. I'm I'm just telling you, it's not what it used to be. It's changed. Right. Well, and now the the other up, up and comer uh, city is Miami. Oh yeah, that's it's, so it's so that you're absolutely right. So hard to predict. It's like all yeah. of a sudden Miami's the place. I, I know. So 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 what 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 our observation has been, and I've spent time down there in Florida. We we we've hosted a venture capital reception down there, another rooftop reception outside. So, you know, not to bother anybody's COVID jitters uh, when we did it. And and what I've what we've observed is it's really not not a hundred percent, but families, people with families, are tending to move to Austin, and the single people are tending to move down to Miami to 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 be mm-hmm. part of the entrepreneurial community. Not a hundred percent either way, but generally that's the that's the trend. And and so yeah, I've spent a lot of time in Florida over over the COVID time. Uh, Florida was a little bit more relaxed, kind of like Texas, um, and so it was a good place to meet people in person and and be able to do business. It's uh, fascinating to watch and to see, and and uh, and really exciting to see how things change here. And there's you know more opportunities than ever for entrepreneurs. So that's the good news. Um, we're seeing it through our portfolio in terms of just their teams and where they're able to hire talent and, and recruit people. The um, so take advantage of the take advantage of the opportunity and the adversity to to, to invest invest in yourself and learn from it. And the remote um, work opportunities are great. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just in the past it, it was it was one of these things where you had to move to, to take a job. Nowadays. You don't have to move. I mean, you, you right. can take a job and, and it would be nice if you moved. It'd be nice if you came and were part of the team part of the time. And and I'm seeing really the job descriptions because we, we help people find jobs here. We, we have this thing called Executive Connect at Cooley and, and we help, we have the companies define what they're looking for. So if somebody's got a company, this is actual real situation, a company in Dallas wants to go public and they want to hire a CFO to go public. And the CFO to take that company public most likely is not in Dallas, you know? And, uh, and so we're drawing from the the coastal candidates, but the CEO is kind of a, a an old school type of person wants to have the in-person face-to-face type mm-hmm. of meeting. So this person has to be willing to be in Dallas and we're defining how often this person needs to be in Dallas. So that's, that's the new world. It's, it's, you know, it, I, my 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 son works for a growth stage startup. He actually lives in the same town as the headquarters of the startup, but he works remotely. Him and his wife both work for the company, <laughs> right. and they work remotely. And so, you know, that's it. I, I said, don't you want to go in the office to have some FaceTime? He goes, he goes, no, just the executive teams in, in the office. I I don't, I don't want to go in there. It'll be weird. So that yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the work environment. It's it's just kind of interesting to think about how the younger generation who's who's come into the work environment in this atmosphere, um, how that's going to, you know, evolve and develop. On, on one hand, they're, they've become very good and proficient at working online. Uh, but you also got to think that the social component of it, getting in person is going to be important as well. So um, I've heard really- a lot of that, Tim. I've heard, I've heard younger people saying, I really want to be in an office environment. I want to be around other people. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. You know, look at my son. He did, he did his junior year of high school remotely 
he hated it and and his grades reflected mm. it and now he's back in person without masks and and he's happy and he's doing well he's got all A's so I, I think there's something to say for that uh, human connectivity absolutely so Carl you're you're at, at your core you're an entrepreneur and um, you've leveraged your entrepreneurial instincts in whatever um, whatever context you've been placed in. Uh, how has, and, and I know you're, you're also a man of faith. So how has your faith um, influenced your journey? Well, so I, it, you know, it's influenced it a lot. I lived half my life without faith and half my life with faith. And hmm. the half of my life with faith has been a lot more satisfying than the half of my life without faith. And so, you know, as, as somebody who's lived on both sides of it, I, I can tell you that it's more fulfilling to, to go, do things in accordance with God's will and, and his word. And so I'm a lot happier today. I'm, I'm in a, a, a marriage that's, you know, we've been married 27 years. We've been together 30 years. Without faith, that wouldn't have been possible. I, I just, I probably would have been living my life in a way that wouldn't have made that possible. And in, in terms of the things I've, I've like COVID to me, personally, I, and I'm really sorry for the people that, you know, had loved ones die during COVID, but, but, but I, I saw the time as a, a blessing. I, I, I launched a podcast. I, I launched a business. I, I was able to move to Austin and nobody thought anything of it. I mean, you know, those are great things. I, you know, I, I and, and a whole host of other things. I'm, I'm authoring a book. I mean, I mean, I, I had extra time that I wasn't commuting to the office or traveling like I used to do for business where I had headspace to, to think of new creative things I could do to make this, this chapter of my life exciting, Tim. And so I'm excited about the future. I know that God has a, a plan for my life and I'm excited about what that plan is. And so I know he has good things in store for me. And, uh, and it just, it, it allows me to live with excitement for the future and not the doom and gloom that most people have experienced during this whole COVID experience. Yeah, no, that that's excellent. And I'm not surprised to hear um, anyone I know whose faith is strong has been optimistic and encouraged throughout this because they know their situation doesn't determine their value as a person and, and where they're going to be eventually. And so uh, they, they have hope and they, um, are optimistic, right? And, yeah, and that's, that has been the difference I've I've experienced, Tim. During COVID, I you know half my half my contacts are are people without faith, and and I get along great with them. And half my pe- contacts are people with faith. The people with faith did a lot better. They were all out more optimistic and talked about all the blessings that have come through the circumstances that they've had. And and the others complained. Yeah. Um, well, I've been the recipient of the of similar kind of blessings. And uh, it's been fantastic to see um, how God's been at work through all that. Thank you for sharing that, Carl. Um, Thank you for being on Fast Frontiers. A lot of great information. I've got a list of follow-ups I want to do uh, with you. We don't connect off as often as we should. And um, the uh, you're welcome anytime you're coming through Ohio and Cincinnati, of course. I appreciate it, Tim. It's been a pleasure. Join us next week when we bring you my conversation with Pete Blackshaw, CEO of Centrifuge in Cincinnati, Ohio. Thanks for listening to Fast Frontiers. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, fastfrontiers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. The Fast Frontiers podcast is brought to you by Refinery Ventures. 
Our producer is Abby Fittis. Audio engineering by Astronomic Audio, and our podcast platform is Casted. 